0: All right, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for your presence here. We thank you for the amazing report we heard from the Maui trip. We thank you, God, that we can participate through prayer and giving and our heartfelt love towards those people, even if we weren't able to go. We thank you for doing a work there. We thank you for doing a work here. Just like we sang tonight, you are the same God. We are completely reliant upon you. We're reliant upon your spirit to teach us. Nobody came here to hear a man. They came here to hear the spirit of God speak through your divine word. And we just pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I want you to know that there's a new sermon series starting on Sunday. And it's called Reach the Culture. I'm really excited about it. This is going to be amazing. I think this is something that our whole body needs to hear as a collective. We need to hear this and understand what God's Word says about the culture, but not just critical of the culture, but how to reach it. And so that's amazing. Also on Thursday nights, there's a new Dig Deeper book coming out for you to use for notes. So be looking for that. All right. So last week we uh, talked about the book of Isaiah. And if you remember, we discussed several interesting facts, like the fulfillment of prophecy there can be both near and far. It could be near in the sense of closer to their time that it was written, and also far, like the Millennial Kingdom. And we looked at 63, verses 1 through 3, which indeed did speak about the ministry of Christ. Christ. Right? It did. In fact, Jesus quoted that passage twice. So we know that it spoke of that, but it also speaks of the Millennial Kingdom. And so God is so amazing that he's able to do that with the passage of Scripture. And so we're, we're just dumbfounded sometimes looking at the thick um, meaning, the dense meaning in Scripture and how God calls us to mine it out, right? So we looked at 61, one through 3 We talked about the significance. We talked about Jesus as the Messiah and his ministry. And we discussed that even though Jesus came for all mankind, that all might receive him who are called to receive and who, who choose to respond to the Spirit of God, It seems like he has a special place in his heart for the outcast. We see it throughout Scripture. There's like a special love. He loves everybody. Don't get me wrong. But there was a focus and an attention to those who were hurting, to those who were sick, to those who were outcast, to those who were sinners. And the reason that this is so significant is because the the Pharisees refused their ministry to the lost. They didn't want anything to do with the lost. They wanted to distance themselves from the hurting, the marginalized, and the outcast. And so here comes Jesus on the scene saying, I see you. I love you. We looked at the story of Levi the tax collector, remember? And how Christ called him to service before his life had been transformed. And by the way, it says that Christ loved us first. Did you know that? Did you know that Christ loved you when you were still dying in your trespass and sin? He loved Levi, or Matthew, right, the tax collector, and called him to be part of the Twelve, even though he was a despised member of society. Today we're going to embark on a journey of exploring the theme of outcasts in the Bible. And our primary focus will be on Jesus' parables in Luke 15, but we will also draw inspiration from various other scriptures. So grab your Bible. Let's dive deep into God's word. All right, you ready? Here we go. The parable of the lost sheep. Luke 15, verse 3 through 7. It says, so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, the context of this passage is interesting. I want to tell you that growing up, I didn't like this story. I didn't like this parable because I thought, what does it mean? Does it mean that Jesus has walked away from the 99? He's like, yo, you're on your own. I'm going to go after this one Yehu over here. Is that what it means? But it's not what it means. What it's showing is that Jesus so cared about the marginalized, he cared about that one person, that he was willing to go the extra mile to find them. He was going to go to help them find him. So he was willing to do that. The reason that I know it doesn't mean that Jesus just left the 99 in in the wilderness, like wandering around about to go off a cliff, is because of the next story. The next story is of the same sort of thing. In Luke 15, 8 through 10, Jesus continuing to illustrate his point, says, or what woman having ten silver coins, by the way, one coin is worth a day's wages. If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We know that this woman didn't just throw her coins out the door and go, I'm going to go look for this other coin. Anybody who wants these these coins, you know, get it. He was illustrating the point with both stories. And he's saying that the marginalized person has value. Now, the Pharisees should know that. They had the Old Testament Scriptures, which talks about being made imago dei, that humanity was made in the likeness and the similitude of God, they should have known. What was the problem? What was the problem? You know, the weird thing is, is as the longer I'm a believer, I begin to see more and more a trap. And that trap is this, that we so separate ourselves from the world that we separate ourselves from the people that need to hear the message of Christ's love. And I also see that we have a tendency towards pharisaicalism. Lord, help us. Because we tend to think that because we're separate and we don't do the big sins anymore, you're no longer an adulterer, you're not a thief, you're not a liar, and you start thinking that you're better than all the people that are those things, but meanwhile you are sinning in that very thought because it's a Pharisaical attitude. Because you see what happened with the Pharisees is they created all kinds of rules and laws that they themselves didn't have to abide by, but they expected everybody else to do it. We don't wanna be those types of New Testament believers. We need God to move on our heart that we would remain humble, before him, that we would remember from whence we came, we would remember the mercy that has been poured out in our lives in great measure. So that we care about the people around us who are marginalized. Now remember, Jesus came for everybody who would receive, who would call to him, who would receive him. He came for them. But we're talking specifically tonight about the marginalized. Now, if you're somebody sitting here tonight that says, well, I don't know if God has called that marginalized person. How do I know if they're supposed to be born again? Maybe that's not God's will. Maybe, maybe they're not going to receive. Maybe, maybe that's none of your business. I'm, I'm just being sincere. You guys don't mind, do you? I mean, maybe that's not your call. Maybe it's up to the almighty God of heaven and earth. But what we've been called to do is to share the message of the love of Christ. That's what we've been called to do. You don't have to decide whether they're worthy of it. Aren't you glad? And aren't you glad somebody didn't decide whether or not you were worthy of it? You know, I I I told some guys earlier this week, that I, whenever I teach, if ever I watch a recording of myself, I'm so serious. And I, I feel like I need to apologize for being serious. It's just who I am. So I'm going to smile a lot more tonight <laughs> as I say my serious things. Okay. So we see in these two parables, Jesus emphasizing the importance of every lost soul. And we see the Pharisees' attitude toward outcasts, that they despised the unclean, the outcast, the sinner. And they neglected their duty to seek and save the lost. Now, before I get into more specific ways of Jesus today, we're going to begin with a Hebrew lesson. There's a Hebrew phrase, am ha'aretz. Everybody say, Am, Am. Ha-aretz. Haaretz. It literally means people of the land. But in Jesus' day, it had become a phrase that was used to indicate outsiders of one kind or another. But the reason it originally started as people of the land was because uh, when the Israelites, when the Israel conquered Canaan and in some of the other lands, some of the people remained. Some of the people remained in the land. They were not chased from the land. And so they were, they were called people of the land because they were there first. And over time, that had become a slur against anyone that doesn't belong it became known as foreigner and then it just became increasingly more negative today it literally is used in Yiddish as the word moron because it was just something that uh, they were considered outsiders they weren't appreciated they weren't of the same religion and it it is just become increasingly more negative But I want you to know that Jesus saw these outsiders. Not only did he see them, but he healed their sick. He fed their hungry. He was constantly in their midst, touching their lives, touching the untouchable. And very simply, he was interested in those that the world put down. The truth is, Jesus often broke bread with the rich and the poor alike. He ate with the righteous and he ate with the sinners, but their reactions toward him were quite different. The righteous were often offended by what Jesus had to say while the sinners were drawn to him in droves. They were drawn to the message of hope. They were drawn to something different than they've always heard. What does that tell you about Jesus? And what do we need to do if we're serious about following in his footsteps? 1 John 2.6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I have never isolated that verse before. I've read it many times in context. But preparing for this teaching, that just jumped out at me. Whoever says he abides in him, in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way which he walked. And that's what we're learning to do as we come together for church, as we go to Bible studies, as we spend time in the Word and worship and prayer. We're learning to walk in the footsteps of Christ. Now, don't be condemned by what I'm saying. If you feel convicted, then it's you go to the Lord and you repent and ask Him to give you a heart for everyone. To give you a heart to share, to love. And if you are somebody who already does this, who already reaches out, then I think we can all take another step tonight. I'm going to look at three different categories of Am Haaretz people. The sinners, the outcasts, and the poor. First, Jesus loved the sinners. I'm going to give you two examples. The first one we already talked about is Levi. Jesus called him. They would have probably encountered Levi on a Roman road in a little tax booth, taking money from the Jewish people, taking more than his share, and giving that money to the occupying Romans. He was despised. He was somebody that was not welcome in the synagogue or the temple The fact that he worked for Rome was in itself enough to make him a traitor in the eyes of his own family. So here, this person, a sinner in the first degree to his fellow Jews, Jesus walked up and said, Matthew, I want you to follow me. And just as surprisingly, Matthew looked at Jesus and said, Yes. Who knew that Matthew would respond to Jesus like that? Well, Jesus did. But can you imagine the disciples? What? First of all, you're asking him. Second of all, what? What is going on right now? And you know, I want you to know that we're so often unaware of what God wants to do in the lives of people. He's amazing and he uses all kinds of situations and things to reach people's hearts. And just when you think, man, that person's never going to give their life to Jesus, boom, there it is. Sometimes, you know, I think, man, they thought that Matthew was second or third class. Jesus didn't. He saw the potential. He knew that he would come. He called him. That night, Matthew had a huge dinner party at his house, and he invited all of his Amharets friends, all of his unclean, nasty tax collector friends, and Jesus had a party with them. He had a meal. It's amazing. How many times do we think that God can't possibly work through a circumstance because it's just not something we like? We don't think that God can work through that type of service or that outreach event or this trip or that trip and God's like, watch me. Watch me. Here's another example. You guys remember the story from Luke 7 where Jesus went to eat supper with a Pharisee named Simon. And when he got there, Simon didn't give him the customary greeting, didn't kiss him, didn't have his feet washed or anything else. He was not awarded the traditional welcome that an honored guest would be awarded. Basically, Simon purposefully insulted Jesus that day. It sure seems like that. To not do that was a huge breach And then during the dinner, something absolutely shocking happened. A prostitute. A woman known to the host to be a local prostitute walked into his home looking for Jesus. And when she saw him, she fell at his feet and she began to weep. Simon was enraged. What is she doing? He was no doubt embarrassed. Coming to my house? How dare she show up here? And he says as much, and he tries to belittle Jesus, and then Jesus tells a parable and says in Luke 7, 44 through 47, then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon. So you get this picture. Jesus was talking to all of them, but now he turns towards this unclean, marginalized woman, and he talks to someone else. I picture this, it doesn't say this in the Bible, so allow me a little license if you would. I think he looked back at Simon right now and said, but he was forgiven little, loves little. So there's the comparison. This unclean woman, Jesus said she's been forgiven much, but to those who are forgiven little, they love little. Look at this. It says, through the story, we can tell that Simon was guilty of loving Jesus little that day. And unfortunately, folks, we can sometimes have that same attitude where we love Jesus little. Well, how is that, Pastor Jim? How do we love Jesus little? It's evident in our attitude, our heart attitude. It's evident in how we choose to live our lives. That we've forgotten how we've been forgiven. We've forgotten that grace and mercy. And that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Have you forgotten the sacrifice that was made? Has it grown sort of You know, just something we talk about at church, but maybe the poignant importance of it has sort of grown stale. Jesus also welcomed the unclean. I'm going to give you two examples here as well. First, outcasts were the unclean or the untouchables of the day. People like the lepers those who had physical or mental illness that no one wanted to get next to. Also, the outcasts were simply those for whatever reason that society hadn't accepted. I want you to know that there are people in today's world that feel this same way. They feel because they have a physical limitation or they have mental illness that they're struggling with or something else that's going on. They feel other. They feel other. They don't feel like part of the whole. And they don't feel accepted. And there's the body of Christ. Man, everybody that walks through that door should know automatically God loves them. Jesus loves you. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you smell like. I don't care what you did this morning or last night. God loves you. Come in and hear the gospel. And not just at church, but who are you? Who am I in my workplace? Who am I in the community at the store? You know, I was talking to somebody this week about Black Friday shopping. And I said, that sounds like it's cozy. It's not cozy. It's like the seventh level of hell. You know, that's a little overspoken, but... You know, it's like I don't I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy the elbows, the looks, the words, the vying for something that I really don't even want that much. I don't go anymore, right? What do we like at the store? What do you like on Black Friday? Mm-hmm. One from this category of am haaretz in society. In Jesus' day, were the Samaritans. You guys remember in John chapter 4, right? Jesus goes. He goes out of his way to go to Samaria. He goes to the Jacob's well in the heat of the day, which wasn't done. And he's waiting for someone. And sure enough, one woman comes. Why did she come at a time when nobody else goes to the well? Because she didn't want to hear the words, see the looks, feel the condemnation probably. So she goes there and Jesus talks to her, a Samaritan. Jesus was supposed to talk to Samaritans. He wasn't even supposed to be in Samaria. And here he is, a rabbi, talking with her. And how do we know she was a sinner? Because he told her. He prophesied. He had a word about her. He basically said, you have had many husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And he still loved her, accepted her, ministered to her. So that was something that was probably mind-blowing for his disciples. Not only did she leave and go tell everybody about him and become the first witness to Samaria probably of Jesus, but Jesus stayed there two more days, it says. Why? Probably ministering to the Samaritans? That's amazing. Jesus not only cared for the sinners, and the outcasts, but he cared for the poor. And every time Jesus met with those who were better off, financially and socially, he encouraged them to always care for the poor. And you know, we talked about this passage in Isaiah 63 last week, right? That Jesus came. He came to minister to the poor. We know that. And not just the financial Financially poor, but he came to set free those who were poor and bankrupt of heart, bankrupt in spirit. He gave them something that was way better than money. He gave them hope, he gave them life. But Jesus cared for the poor. There are three parables I can think of that were meant to help us understand how to look and minister to the poor. The first one is the Good Samaritan. Do You guys remember that there was a poor man, right? He was robbed and beaten, and he had nothing. A Levite and a priest go by and just walk right by him. I wonder if that priest was on his way to meeting. wonder if he's on a way to minister. Doesn't say. They walk right on by, but again, a Samaritan who should hate the Jews because of how they'd been mistreated, reached out and took care of this man. I think of the rich man and Lazarus. And I think of the sheep and the goats. I'm going to read this. This is a big chunk. Can you turn to Matthew 25? We're going to read this, but I want to tell you first that sometimes when people read this, they think that Jesus is saying that you are saved by your works. That is not what this means. What this is saying is that those that belong to Jesus do works. If he has transformed us, then we begin to care for others. We care for the marginalized, and we care for the not marginalized. And we begin to minister to people and, and, and do things simply because we love Jesus. Not to get salvation. We're talking about people that already have salvation and how they act. All right, let's read this. Starting in verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This is referring to the millennial kingdom. Okay. And He will place the sheep on His right into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they were also... This is a somber, serious passage, right? And like I said, this is referring in time period after the tribulation, before the millennial reign, that this sorting of the sheep and the goats will occur. But it's also so pertinent to us now because it shows the heart of Christ, And again, it's not saying it's by works that we're saved. It's by grace through faith. We all know what the word says. But belonging to Jesus means that our behavior is changed and we're being transformed. We're being transformed. Well, Pastor Jim, does that mean I'm supposed to give something to every panhandler? Am I supposed to Am I supposed to do this every time? Am I supposed to, you know, why do we go to legalism? Why do you automatically wonder what you can get out of? I mean, I do. That's my, that's my first thought. What does that mean then? Do I do it? How many times do I need to do it? It's not about legalism. It's about the heart. The heart to help, the heart to serve. If God lays on your heart to help somebody, please help them. What if they're What if they're not honest? God will take care of that. He's got that. But what's your heart? What's your heart in this situation about that person? Sometimes, you know, we might feel awkward. We might feel awkward about talking to someone who is homeless or someone who doesn't seem like they're in their right mind. We don't know what they're going to say. We don't know what we're going to say to them. We feel uncomfortable. But that's when the Holy Spirit moves. He moves in your heart. He gives you words to say. And all we really have to do is love. All we really have to do is care and not withhold ourselves. And that tends to be our tendency, I believe, as modern day Christians in 2023. We have everything compartmentalized. I mean this in the kindest way. We have LV Reach. And isn't that their job to take care of those people? Well, yeah, it's their privilege their ministry, but we have people right around us, wherever you are, that need ministry. We compartmentalize, like I live in a nice neighborhood, you know, there's really not any homeless. I believe that God will take us, take our paths across people that he wants us to minister to. Could be in town, could be On the way to the store, it could be just walking in the mall and God will lay on your heart to go talk to somebody and encourage them or just say, hey, can I pray with you? Is there anything you need prayer for? I think in my 30-something years of being a believer, more than that, 40-something, yikes, of being a believer, I've had people refuse prayer maybe twice. Almost always, they say, Sure, or Yes, or Pray for this person, Pray for my mom, Pray for my dog. They have something they want prayer for, and it's a great opportunity. So, if we study these three parables, we find that unequivocally, Jesus cared for the poor, He cared for the hurting. We also know that the book of James tells us that faith without works is dead and our faith is meant to manifest itself in a concern for the Amhaaretz people around us, the sinners, the outcasts, and the poor. Jesus cared for all of these and we definitely want to walk in his way. He loves the sinner. He loves the outcast. He loves the poor. He loves the rich. Tonight, I want to challenge us to make a decision. And that decision is simply to ask God to move on your heart. To simply ask the Holy Spirit to show you, like he is showing me, That there are areas that he still wants to grow. He still wants to transform. Are you willing to pray that with me tonight? Would you bow your heads?